Hello, and welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Lindsay Baroker, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Joe Lalo. And I'm Andrea Pearson. We're going to be fielding some of your questions from the Facebook group today. There were quite a few on pre-orders, so um, if you don't get what you wanted, make sure you check out our big two-part episode we did uh, a couple months ago, episodes 42 and 43. And there were also some on uh, like when to announce a new series to readers, and I'm going to share some of my Amazon ads data here at the beginning. But before we jump into that, do you guys have any news you would like to share? Sure. Um uh, well, okay. First, I'm I'm still working on Big Sigma Six, which is the last book in the year of six that I was trying to put together. I passed the 100,000 word mark yesterday, and uh, probably only two or three more days until I'm done with the first draft. And then comes a longer than normal revision because, thanks to some substantial notes I left myself for scenes that need to be added later, I'm going to be probably adding four or five extra thousand words, if not more, uh, during the revision process. Uh, also, I probably will not have much of a beta reading process on this one because I cut it too close to the to the edit date. So I got to make make sure it's as clean as I possibly can because anything that I don't catch might not get caught. Although my editor is very good about making notes about things that are destructive to the story. <laughs> so uh, I'm also uh, having problems with pre order right now on on free rent. It's not entirely true that it's that it's the pre order that's a problem. The problem is the entire book listing. Uh, it's been about a week since I set it up. And the cover image still hasn't shown up on Amazon, on any of the Amazon storefronts. Uh, it works on every other storefront, but not on Amazon. Now, I contacted them pretty much as soon as it went up because I noticed there was no image. And normally, uh, as soon as I can click on it, the image is there. So I let them know. And they let me know, we'll get back to you in three business days. And three business days went by, and they got back to me to say that they're working on it. And uh, now it's about a week later, and there's still no picture. And I learned a few things as a result of this. Um, more than one person, I've, I, I've been holding back the full announcement of it until there is a picture, but I did some soft announcements on social media. I haven't, like, I haven't done the newsletter announcement of it yet. Um, some of the people that I directly told it existed, uh, I didn't give it, I didn't give the link on the Facebook page because links on Facebook pages, unless you're promoting them, tend to squash it a little bit. So I decided to leave the link off and just announce that it was there and people searched it out anyway. And one of them said that Amazon didn't have it, and Amazon did have it, but there was no picture there. And apparently, we have been trained to disregard the links that don't have pictures next to them because they seem broken. Uh, and that has been exceedingly so across the board. Anybody who actually goes to the, to the Amazon link without the picture on it is like, yeah, Amazon doesn't have it yet. I'm like, oh, no, I assure you, that free order link still works. But uh, it's, it's causing a little bit of a backup in my launch strategy. Uh, I'm trying to hold back on promotions because it's hard enough to get somebody to click a link without them thinking that it's broken. So uh, originally I was going to have a much longer build up and actually try to push some purchases to my pre-order. And now I'm probably going to revert back to my standard method, which is to push all purchases directly to the beginning of the uh, series and just try to carry over to a, to a pre-order uh, to, you know, the actual launch when I'm, I'm, selling the book and hopefully by then there's a picture but that's about it i have a question for you what did you mean when you said you don't use the the link on facebook because it gets squishy oh um facebook i noticed if i have like you know facebook will, will give a little bit extra boost to things like have a picture for example uh I, I noticed a while ago that if i do a post that has a link in it it doesn't seem to get shown to nearly as many people so what I'll often do is only when I have an actual thing I intend to boost, do I put a link in it. Uh, when, it when it matters to me for people to act on it. Uh, it's, I, it could be superstition, but I started doing it a long time ago where, where only boosted posts have links. Uh, so whenever I actually just want to inform people of something, I will leave out a link unless absolutely necessary. Okay, I would suggest trying that again now because I know I've had it in the past where usually it was when I was an announcing an event on Facebook where like 13 people would see it instead of 2,000. So right. I have experienced that, but not so much for when I link to Amazon. Okay. That, because I usually have readers that will not be able to find it in their country, especially if it's only been up for like a day or, or if they have to search my name in the name of the book. 
that seems to be a deal breaker for some people. Um, I put like all the links to all the major Amazon countries or, or all, if I was not releasing exclusive to Amazon, I put like Apple and Kobo and everything in there. Um, cause that, I find that helps a lot. Because if they have to search for it themselves, it, this seems to be a difficult thing for a lot of people. <laughs> I don't know yeah. how they're searching, but um, just wanted to put that out there for in case anybody else has that experience. Useful to know. A lot of this job seems to be dislodging things that used to work or used to not work from your brain. Well, and I, I have experienced that with Facebook. Randomly, something that's a link will not be as well boosted or shown naturally, but I usually do okay with my book releases and... Um, I'll pin them too if it's a new, you know, new thing to help people see it. All right, good to know. All right, <laughs> go ahead, Andrea. Sorry for jumping in there. You're fine. I keep yawning, <laughs> so it's it's good having uh, somebody else talking while I'm yawning. Um, so I'm currently working on a newsletter marketing course. It's been so much fun. It was I was actually doing that right before we started recording. I was like, ah, this is exciting though, and I know I'm I'm kind of weird. Um, it's shameful. Okay. It's shameful. <laughs> anyway, um, I was just telling Lindsay and Joe this, all my health tests have come back inconclusive. Um, I've got a couple of tests that were, um, abnormal, but you know, the doctor's like, you're fine. And I don't know what's wrong with you. Go, you know, go see this person. I'm like, I've already seen them anyway. So nobody knows what's wrong with me. And I've totally done being poked, stabbed, prodded and looked at and examined and questioned. And I don't know. So at least for now, um, and my symptoms are getting better, so I don't know why they're getting better. They kind of, they kind of come and go. I have days that are good, days that are bad, but it's going a lot better now. And um, anyway, so um, while I've been trying to make book decisions, you know, we've been talking about that a lot lately. I've uh, realized something, um, and that is this: if I'm not having fun, what is the point? Like, what's the point of doing anything if I'm not enjoying it? I'm I chose to be an author. Um, I'm not forced to be in a cubicle all day at work. You know, five hours five hours, eight hours a day, five days a week, a week. And I mean, being a writer is a lot of fun. And if I'm not enjoying it, then what's going on? You know, what's wrong? And so I started working on Sable Heart Midnight Chronicles book five again, because I'm so close to being done with it that I just, I just want to get it done. And I found myself just loving the story again. And so what I'm, what my point here is, is do it because you love it, not because you are I don't know, feeling forced to do it, I guess. Um, and I forget how much I love writing all the time, especially when I'm in between projects. And it, when I find myself doing that or forgetting, then I will frequently read a book or a scene from a, you know, a scene from a book I'm particularly proud of, or just a book that I really enjoyed writing. And that really helps me get back into the work. Um, or I take a break or, I mean, for those who aren't sure, I mean, make sure this is what you really want to be doing with your time. Because even if you're working on a, on writing and you're not enjoying it, then why are you doing it? Um, I don't think we have any of these, these listeners in our, in our group, but, um, these people in our group of listeners, but you know, the authors who write just because it's a good source of money, for them. Um, I don't know. Like, I think most of our, our listeners are going to be really passionate about writing and wanting to do this because they love it. But in case there are some people who aren't enjoying it, um, I don't know, do what you enjoy doing is what I'm trying to say. And like right now, I've just been super excited about my, about my marketing courses, which is kind of random. So I've got like three in the works and then the one that I'm actively, actively working on the newsletter marketing one, specifically doing subject lines right now. And it's been so much fun. <laughs> I've, I read a study today that um, talked about how you're not supposed to put people's names and subject lines anymore because that's now what companies do in their, all their marketing. And so people are starting to ignore emails that have names in them. And so for a while there, a lot of the bigger people in, in the indie author business were saying, personalize your subject lines. Don't do that anymore. <laughs> so there's a little tidbit for you. I don't even know the names of most of my readers. And so I don't ever put something like that in there because sometimes it'll have weird formatting if you don't have their email address or their name on file. Anyway, sorry, Lindsay, to you now. <laughs> Do you mean in the title of the header of the email or like when you greet them? Hey, Andrea, my new book um, is out. In, in the, in my, my computer's making weird noises. Uh, I had a re-hard, I mean, a hard update that my computer did a few days ago and all my settings have been messed up since then. Um, but no, like in subject lines, it'll be like, Hey, Andrea, uh, how are you doing this week? Or in the personal, in the personal, it doesn't matter. Like the dear Andrea, then the email, that doesn't matter so much. The preview and the subject line is what? the study was talking about. Okay. Yeah. I've never used names in the subject line. You do have that option. It seems a little, Creepy. I don't know, 
<laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, but I certainly personalized the emails with the first name, which is always funny when somebody put in something weird because they didn't want to sign up with their real name. You're like, hi, bathtub reader. <laughs> My new book is out. All right. Moving on. Um, I finally went in and kind of took a little bit more of a peek of, um, uh, as you guys probably know, Amazon ads added in pages read for the last two weeks for each of your ads that, that they can attribute to the clicks. So I went in and looked at some of uh, the ones I've been running from my Urban Fantasy series to the book one. And uh, the one of the top performing ones was uh, an ad that had 73 orders for the month of the 299 ebook, and it had 70 or 47,565 page reads for the trailing two weeks. So that was almost a month because I checked it on the 18th. Um, the book was has 406 KENPC. <laughs> so basically, that means about 117 books were read versus the 73 that were purchased. Uh, rough estimate since the rate changes every month, but so that was about a dollar eighty for a read at that length. So a little less than a money than a sale on a two ninety nine book, but not bad. I think you get two oh five on a two ninety nine book. So long story short, <laughs> I seem to be getting at least twice as many sales or the KU equivalent as the numbers alone would have suggested like before we had that data. So it's it's good to have it now because I would have looked at that ad before and they like, hmm, I'm sure I'm getting some page reads, but I, I'm not sure how many. So that tells me, obviously, I don't need to worry as much about the ACOS type thing. If I mean, I know some people say don't worry about that at all anyway, but um, it's not as bad as it looks <laughs> when it's uh, when you factor that in. And I, I found that the price also affects like how many, you know, sales versus page reads. With my 99 cent ebook bundle, uh, it looked like I tended to get more sales, probably not surprisingly, than uh, the like I didn't get twice as many KU page reads or whatever. Like people are just buying the book more. So on that, in that case, I may raise my eyebrows a little bit at the higher A cost and, and think, hmm, you know, is it really the ads that are keeping these books ranking and, and selling pretty well, or is it just that it's a good deal because it's a 99 cent bundle to some extent? So um, I, I'll be looking at that a little bit more. I would guess too, if you had a higher price, four ninety nine ebook, say, you'd skew even more towards page reads than sales. But um, I don't have a four ninety nine ebook that I'm advertising right now, so that's just a guess. So I don't know if you guys are playing around with this at all. I'd, I imagine some people are. It's been out for about a month now at this point. I'll look into it a little more closely the next time I watch a new series, but that won't be until twenty twenty one. Do you guys have any thoughts before we move on? Uh, I only have the free books that are exclusive and I'm not running any ads to them right now, but uh, when I decide to start revamping, because those might be the next things that come into my pipeline is continuing that series. I'm definitely going to, you know, try to factor that better into my ROI. It's still a little hard to know how much, like actually I get less page reads from the ads than I would have thought. So some of the is just organically sticking, but like how much is it sticking at 2000 or whatever in the store because I'm also running the ads that are helping, you know, give me sales every day. So it's, it's still a little bit of a guesstimate. You never can have quite as much data as you wish you had. All right, let's jump into listener questions. There's all kinds of yawning going on with my co-host today. <laughs> I don't know here. Hopefully I'm not that boring. All right. First one is from Julie. When doing a launch, do you price low for the pre-order if doing one or start at your normal price and do a promo later? Don't worry. It's not you, Lindsay, causing the yawning. <laughs> it's the lack of sleep on my end. <laughs> I can't vouch for Joe, but um, okay. So in regards to Julie's question, um, so it depends on my goals and whether it's a first in series book or not. So if it's a first in series, I usually do it at a discount, sometimes like $2.99, sometimes like um, 99 cents. Um, I've done it at full, at full price in the past. Um, and again, yes, with the goal to do a big promotion later. Um, I generally focus on having a good price for the launch, uh, but this is for a first in series book. And for later books, I usually just release at full price or do a pre-order at full price because I figure that, you know, I don't, I very rarely discount later books in a series. I almost always just keep them at full price constantly. 
Um, I traditionally have always pre-ordered at full price. I'm pre-ordering the current book at full price. Uh, I very rarely do price promotions on anything but book one of the box set. And the uh, exception to that is the last two releases I did, I've done a full series discount, which I've described in previous episodes. For the short version is first book is always free because I use free series stars as, as my main you know funnel. And then each subsequent book in the series is $1 more expensive until the most recent release is full price. Uh, so that's typically what I still do. Um, I, I, yeah, just generally speaking, uh, I, I've sort of, my readers expect things full price early on and basically only discounts on early stuff. For me, for a new book one in a new series, obviously, <laughs> I will price low for the pre-order and the launch. I often do 99 cents just to get as many people as I can into the series. And then I kind of let it ride for, you know, if it's sticking in the top couple hundred for a while, I'll let it stay at 99 cents, especially if I already have book two on pre-order and coming out in a couple weeks, which is kind of what I've been doing lately, sort of the rapid release, at least for the first three books in a series. Um, I don't like to launch high with the thought that I'm going to, reduce the price later. Cause I know I will, uh, you know, once sales flag or once I'm up to book five in the series, I'm going to want to advertise and drop the price on book one. So I like to release book one for my core readers to get that at 99 cents or two ninety nine or whatever I decide to do if I do a deal so that they always get the best deal later in a series. I like Joe, I usually just do the four ninety nine is kind of my default for a full price novel now and uh, same price pre-order and launch the, I have occasionally done an exception where I want to say kind of a thank you to my regular readers. And uh, I put like a pre-order up at $2.99 a couple months before the launch. And I've told them, hey, if you buy this at $2.99, you get $2 off. After it releases, I'm going to raise it to $4.99. And that is just to, you know, like I said, as a thank you. Also, if you were trying to hit a list or something like that, that could be another tactic to do a pre-order at a lower price so you could get all the numbers that you're trying to get uh, to prompt people who wouldn't necessarily be a fan of a pre-order to go ahead and save a couple dollars. And and I did find that time that I got more pre-orders than usual, perhaps not surprisingly. (laughs) All right, Andrea, do you want to ask the next question? Speaking is hard. <laughs> We're not public speakers. We are authors. <laughs> um, Devany, and by the way, Devany, I love your name, <laughs> um, asks, it seems that everyone advertises. Um, so everyone advertises Facebook, Amazon, Seeking, BookBub, etc. But what if a different book in the series is stronger or better written and each can stand alone? Um, in general, promotions are amplifiers. If you've got good reviews, good sales on a book that's not a series starter, so long as it can serve as an entry point to the series, then I'd say there's no harm in promoting it preferentially. Uh, but generally speaking, you're going to want to send people through as much of your series as possible. Uh, I understand the, uh, the interest in sending people to a more strongly written book. My first book I ever wrote, a book that I technically wrote in high school, is The Book of Deacon, which is where most of the people have to start my Book of Deacon series, as you might imagine. So it's definitely not very strong. But at the same time, the, just generally speaking, if, if you uh, want to maximize sales, you want to get people through your entire series. Um, my, I, you might want to tweak the, the back matter uh, of, of a mid-series book that you're using as a series starter now to give people insight into its position because I have found that people tend to be unaware of books that are sort of, they're not led into. So if somebody starts on book three and they really like your series, they might like books one and two. So just make sure that the, the, the back matter of your starting book makes it series that you can continue, makes it clear that you can continue forward or continue backward. Um, so romance authors regularly promote individual books in a series out of order and there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing that so they'll you know each book is a standalone the characters tie things together so you have different characters featured in each book that's totally fine um i've got three series starters to my mosaic chronicles uh book one is a series starter starter book six is another one and book 10 which i don't have linked anywhere as book 10 but i just call it book 10 um and the reason i did that was because book one through five was a separate series and then book six through nine was a separate four book series and then book 10 was a completely it was a prequel basically but i didn't want to call it a prequel because a lot of readers they don't value prequels as high as they do a main book in a series. And so I tagged it on as book 10. It does get read as much as the rest of the book. So I don't regret doing that. Um, 
anyway, so you can start reading the series at any of those three points. And, um, and I have had people do that, but most readers want to start at the beginning. And a lot of readers, a lot of authors focus on the first book because it's less work for readers who enjoy reading chronologically. So even like author friends or even clients or whatever who have, you know, the third book in their romance series is the strongest. And it's because they're not chronological and they're standalones, they can start there. Readers will still go and download the first book. And so I don't know, that's, it's kind of a frustrating thing because the second book in my, my Western romance series is stronger than the first book. It just has a stronger story. The writing itself is fine, but it's a stronger, stronger, more compelling story. And I haven't figured out a way around that yet. All right. So I've never tried to advertise a middle book in a series because uh, all my series are very, are almost all of them. You kind of have to start at one and continue reading on. But I totally understand in romance, especially we have a different couple every book that they can stand alone. Um, kind of the problem, and this is why it's tough, is because Amazon and I believe also the other stores make you give the book a number if it's going to be on the series page or, you know, the other stores don't all have series page yet, but they probably will at some point. And in that carousel on Amazon under the book, like one, two, three, four, at which point it's going to say book three in the title and on the web page, whether you wanted it to be book three or not, whether you wanted to like emphasize that. So even though you know the book can stand alone, there's always going to be some reticence. I think on the reader's behalf to start at book three, something is, that is blatantly labeled book three in a series. And when you're buying these ads, uh, especially these PPC ads where you're paying for each click, it's a really thin margin anyway. So, you know, it's like, do you really want to spend money advertising something people might hesitate to purchase? Um, with luck, they'll go check out book one if they're not one of those people that's willing to start in the middle. I think if it were me and I was doing something like romance where I, I just wanted to sell book three, which is awesome. I wanted to promote that. I'd probably try taking it out of this series metadata, like remove it out of the series on Amazon or the other stores and make it look like a standalone, except maybe for a mention at the bottom of the blurb, oh, this is part of a series. These can be read in any order. Uh, I mean, don't leave it like that. Don't leave your book hanging. But if you're doing like a two-week ad campaign, that might be something to consider, just uh, taking it out and making it really look like a standalone for the first impression that the reader has. So... That's uh, my thoughts on that. Uh, Joe, do you want to jump in for the next question? Sure. Uh, Ethan asks, for those of you with an Amazon affiliate account, do you know if KU borrows are being counted toward the count in this statement? You have r referred number Kindle free eBooks and dollar Kindle free paid books. Uh, so are they included there? This is the big numbers episode. I was sharing my 46,000, whatever, 55 earlier. All right. So I went and looked. I, I knew what you were talking about, but I went in and looked at my reports. And, you know, there's at the bottom of it that said, you have referred 79 Kindle free ebooks and 335 Kindle paid ebooks for the trailing seven days. Um, I don't ever use affiliate links on free books. So that does make me wonder about, about your question. Um, but, but if anything, if it was counting KU books, I would expect it to be a much higher number in that case. Because aside from a few old links on my website that people might find from the older books, I mostly am linking to new release stuff that's in KU. I use the affiliate links on my Facebook page in particular. And um, I would expect that half of the people are clicking are KU subscribers that click on that link and then get the book. So I'm guessing no. I don't know for sure. Um, what I did, I poked around and what I found is that uh, the only references to KU in the Amazon affiliate program are that you get credits if people sign up. Uh, it's $3 for a free trial account, uh, $3 for a six-month sign-up, $5 for a 12-month sign-up, and $10 for a 24-month sign-up, which means maybe you guys should be promoting <laughs> Kindle Unlimited if you want to make money from Amazon affiliate sales because, I don't know, I get like 25 cents on a four ninety nine book or something like that. Um, I know that's not why you're asking, though. Um, but why, why would you care? Why would people care? Uh, this is because Amazon only allows X number of free eBooks a, not, a month through the affiliate program. I don't remember the percentage or if there's a number. I only remember that this was a big deal a few years ago and while the sponsorship sites had to change their model because they were linking to free eBooks in their newsletters and Amazon said, nope, can't do that. You can only have like 10% of all affiliate uh, income can come from those free links. And um, I, that's understandable because they would be sending people to free books to download and then 
and a person would go and buy, you know, a couch, whatever. You get couches on Amazon now, right? You can get anything for $2,000 and they'd get the affiliate money from that. And Amazon was like, no way. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, so because of that, you probably should not use affiliate links, even on your own website and your own, you know, well, that's the only place you're supposed to use them. Your website, your social media pages are okay. It's not advertising social media pages, apparently. Um, but I wouldn't promote freebies with them because of that if you think you're going to move a lot of copies. All right. Do you guys didn't have any comments on this, did you? I, I, I covered it fully or, or confused everybody thoroughly, thoroughly or like, what is an Amazon affiliate program? Uh, Chris asked, moving on to the next question. This is a bit of a long one. If you put a book up for pre-order on KDP very early to get the links, etc., but aren't running any AMS ads, are you just slowly grinding down your baseline relevance into oblivion, or does that only happen when you're actively running ads and they're going poorly? Uh, we should have close to 10 of the 20 books in our new series stockpiled when book one releases, so it would be very simple and easy to just load them into KDP as a pre-order as soon as they're ready. But half the reason we're doing the 18-day rapid release strategy is to rank and try to start showing up in the hot new releases and under 100, hopefully, by book five or six. So we're not really looking for a lot of pre-order sales. So we're going to focus our marketing on building up release days, stepped promos, etc., not on getting lots of pre-orders. So loading the books up as early as possible sounds amazing as far as getting everything sorted and ready right away, but not if it's going to tank our relevance before we even get started because we're not running ads. We've got some thinkers in our Facebook group. I love you guys. <laughs> All right. So I'll just go ahead and take a stab at this first. Um, basically, yes. And I'm going to link to this in the show notes. Dave Cheston has a video on why not to do pre-orders on Amazon that explains it. But it's much easier to launch a book and get it higher in the rankings for longer when it doesn't have a poor sales history to overcome. Um, David Gogren has talked about this too, how... The sales that you get today count more than anything, count for like half of what goes into figuring out your sales ranking. And then the day before is like a quarter. And then going back, it's less and less for like the last trailing 30 days. So it's not a huge thing to overcome, but it definitely, I've had the experience where it's much easier, easier to launch a pre, a, a new book and do well with the same number of sales than one that's kind of been dragging along and not getting very many sales for the last month or however many months. I mean, you may be talking about six months worth of releases here or more. So I don't worry about it too much with later books in a series because I'm, they're not going to stick in the rankings anyway, unless they're just selling well off the tail of book one doing pretty well. So I'm not saying don't do pre-orders, but in your case, if you're hoping that, you know, you're going to get visibility from the subsequent releases, you may just want to do like, do the release, have the pre-order for the next one up. Then when that's about to release, put the pre-order for the next one rather than putting all, was it 20, 20 books up in advance? You know, there's not really, most readers are not going to just buy the rest of the series because they're up anyway. So, you know, getting them just by the next book is probably a good goal and then you don't need to worry especially if you're only 18 days apart uh don't need to worry about it too much all right do you guys have any thoughts on that i certainly do <laughs> excellent <laughs> so um this is kind of crazy because shadow profit i mean i on amazon i usually my pre-orders usually no longer than 10 days sometimes a week sometimes two weeks but generally like five days. I usually keep them short. The whole purpose of them is to make sure I have a link to go in the back of the previous book and, and to make sure I have a link to give to readers and make sure everything is all set up and my all-star bots are coming in. Um, and when I read this question and like saw Lindsay's answer, I was like, Oh, oh my gosh, ugh. <laughs> um, because in my plan, how poorly Shadow Prophet did at the very start. I put that thing up for pre-order six months, um, for about six months before it came out. And the main reason was because I wanted it to launch well and I wanted to test every aspect of it before it launched. And, you know, that, that was, that was stupid. There's so many, there's another mistake, guys. <laughs> so many stupid things that I did trying to get that series to go well. And, and I mean, I put so much emphasis on it because I had a baby and it was the first thing I released after 10 months of not releasing anything. And so I wanted it to do well. And I feel like I kind of like cursed myself by, by putting so much emphasis on it when I should have just released the book and not had a pre-order period at all. And so 
because during that six months, I ignored it almost completely other than to run tests through Facebook ads. Uh, I didn't tell my readers it was there. I didn't claim it on my author, I mean, author central thing. People didn't even know to look for it because they knew I was recovering from having a baby. And yeah, just don't be like Andrea when it comes to that launch. Um, I used to do very, very long pre-orders. I used to maximize pre-orders uh, for a long time. Like back when Smashwords had much longer pre-orders than Amazon, uh, I would do maximum length pre-orders on Smashwords. It was recommended by, uh, by, you know, Smashwords folks. Uh, and actually it worked reasonably well. But the thing was back then I was doing very infrequent releases. Like there were, I, I think that was during a period when I had a full year with no release. So I sort of needed something to talk about. So I would have a pre-order, you know, six month pre-order. Uh, and then I would be able to sort of talk it up and slowly build. And these were, again, at least book four in any given series that I was pre-ordering. So I wasn't so much leaning on a big launch to get my sales as, as getting read through from the earlier in the series. But these days on Amazon in particular, I don't go over a month. The, the current one that I'm running now is is only running for a month. And in this case, because of the whole cover thing, it's kind of useful that I got it started with a month because if I had decided to do no pre-order on this, then it would have launched with no cover, which would have been real bad. But yeah, generally speaking, for all the reasons that Lindsay listed, it's probably not that useful to have, uh, to have your books on pre-order for a super long time. However, if you are, you know, you mentioned having them lined up and ready to go. It's, uh, it's probably not, I mean, you can just load up all the books uh, and save them as drafts and then hit go on them when they're ready. Like there's no, like pre-orders aren't the only way to have a book loaded up and ready to launch. So if, if you genuinely want the convenience of having a book already in the system, then, uh, the only thing that you're stumbling over then is, well, even, even so you can just set the pre-order and then hit go on the pre-order a week before or however long. So yeah, in general, short pre-orders on, on, on books on Amazon. Yeah. And on other retailers, and it doesn't matter because they don't, they're not based at, on algorithms like Amazon is. So, um, okay. So we're going to go ahead and go on to the next question. This one's from Heather. She asks, if you have a series exclusive to Amazon, can you sell it as a box set on other stores or is it considered the same content? Nope. <laughs> um, no, I know I had that thought very early on when I was like, wait a minute, would that be a different book? But no, if you have the individual titles and they're enrolled in Amazon's exclusivity program, the box set is considered duplicate content and also, which is allowed one box set by the author who did the individual titles, but you cannot, it's still under the program. So you can't release it somewhere else. You can only release up to 10% of any particular title that is exclusive to Amazon you know, a sample for your website or whatever. If you wanted to have a couple of chapters on Wattpad, it could be up to 10%. Uh, so that's it. Can't get around it. You just have to, when you want to take it wide, you got to take all the whole series out. I usually wait till the whole series is out before releasing the stuff on the other sides because it's always uh, weirdly staggered unless you release the whole series on day one. But usually book four comes out first for some reason, or it's like one comes out and then four, whatever. But um, let us move on to the next question. I guess that's Joe asking that one. Yep. Oh, I will say, fun fact, one of the only questions I ever asked Amazon about how releases go is whether I could do this very thing. Because I thought, hey, it'd be cool if I could have the individual books everywhere and then just a box set on Amazon because of the whole longer book thing. And Yeah, they... they pretty quickly shut that one down. I, I remember I started that email for the longest time because it was an answer, a question I had to answer for readers frequently as if they were allowed to do that. But anyhow, we have a question from Ethan. When planning for a new series, when should I tell readers about them? When I have them, when I, when I have them on pre-order or earlier? Also, how many should I have on pre-order? Three at least? Well, probably not three for the reasons we were talking about in the earlier question. So this just depends on you and kind of how big of a fan base you have. Are people excited and waiting for the next book? Because I will often share snippets of the one I'm working on before. At, at this point, there's usually a pre-order up for the next book. Uh, like I said, I just throw it up there for the next one in the series, even if it's two or three months out, just so I can collect the sales and because I'm not worried about sales ranking on book five or whatever. But um, I would do it anyway, even if I wasn't doing a pre-order, because it gives you something to talk about on, you know, I do the Facebook author page. I'm pretty active there. And on Twitter, you can share a little something. I, I'm not big into like cover reveals. Maybe that's the genre thing, but I, I've never seen 
I don't know. It doesn't excite me a whole lot. So I usually wait till the actual, the links, I have the links, the book is ready to go. And then I'll share the cover, be like, Hey, look at this guys. And you can buy it. So I do, don't do a whole lot of stuff before the links are actually available for people to order. So usually book one is kind of almost a stealth thing. I put that up only two weeks early, only because I want to, if I have the audio book and I, you have to claim it uh, through ACX. So there has to be a link on Amazon for that reason. Otherwise I'd probably only do book one less than a week in advance uh, for a pre-order. But, um, you know, if your readers are actually excited about it, you can be talking and sharing snippets. And, uh, you know, if you want to get a big payday, there's no... Like the pre-order thing, it's just if you're worried about your sales ranking on Amazon, basically. If that's not something you worry about at all, or if you're wide and you're probably not going to kill it with your release on Amazon anyway, throw that pre-order up. Uh, there's less point about talking, you know, there's not a whole lot of point in talking up the book until there is a buy link, unless you just know that you have a fan base that's really excited to get the snippets and that kind of thing. Um, and they're going to be there to buy it <laughs> when it comes out anyway. But I would wait till people can order it to put most of your energy behind that at that point. All right. Who's next? <laughs> me, 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 me. <laughs> um, so I'm constantly telling my readers about books that are coming up, but I keep it to ones that I know I'll be writing soon. Um, as a reader, nothing's more frustrating than hearing about a book two years before it comes out. <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> Just kidding. Everybody was going to buy Harry Potter anyway. Okay. But, um, in, in our day and age with indie authors, um, if, I don't know, it's just, so many people don't actually finish series that if you're telling people about a series way or book way in advance and you never actually follow up with anything. And I have been um, guilty of this in the long past, long distance past. Um, so yeah, nothing's more frustrating than hearing about a book several years before it comes out. So I try to keep a lot of my excitement ideas in the, you know, in the bag until I know I'm going to actually start writing them. Um, and it's also good to know that drumming up excitement when you don't have a link for them to order or pre-order is kind of pointless a little bit. Um, like Lindsay was said, you, what Lindsay was said, was saying, if you have diehard fans and they're going to buy it anyway, it doesn't really matter. They're going to buy it anyway. But like a first book in a series or even a, ser a book in a series that hasn't um, been added to for a little while, then, you know, working really, really hard to get people excited about something just, it doesn't, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, I'll mention titles and who the books will be about, but unless I have a link for them, I don't focus too much on that excitement, generating, drumming up excitement, getting people ready to go out and download. Um, and as to how many to have on pre-order, my question is how busy is your personal life? Um, how likely are you to get derailed? Uh, because like, for example, my life is too hard to predict right now. Um, but I do have friends who successfully put up a whole year's worth of pre-orders at a time. And I think that I don't know how they handle Amazon. Actually, I need to reach out to them and ask them what they do. But these are authors who are <clears throat> killing it in the romance genres and their books. It doesn't seem to matter how far in advance they put their books up for pre-order. Um, but it just depends on how well you know your process and how comfortable you are that nothing will throw a wrench in your plans. Um, but like we've said, I, I would default to long pre-orders and lots of pre-orders and other retailers. And until you know exactly how it'll work with Amazon and that requires regular releasing and stuff like that. Um, and Lindsay, you can go ahead and make that comment if you would like. I was just saving it for in the chat. All right. Well, I do want to point out with this pre-order question on Amazon, if you are going to be exclusive and you already have a ton of KU readers, then it's probably going to affect you less the longer pre-orders. And I don't know, Andrea, if the people you know are KU people and have a lot of readers already because they can't pre-order it if they're going to borrow it. They can't do anything until the day it comes out. So if you have a 1,000, 10,000 KU subscribers who are going to go get it on day one, it's going to overcome any like lethargy that there was or if the sales ranking was you know around 10,000 for months at that's going to be enough to just be like, Whoop, you know, shoot it up to the top anyway. So uh, something else to consider when you're yeah. asking a pre-order question. <laughs> no, yeah, they're all, they're all the romance authors. They are all in KU. So that's a really good point. Now, uh, I, I'm going to give a little background here. Before I, well, before I made it big as a writer, I spent a little bit of time as a video game journalist. And so I learned a lot about uh, talking about something early in its development in that and there's weird there's two it's a two-pronged strategy like two different ways you can go about it the popular rule of thumb for a long 
a lot of the larger companies is don't get anyone excited about anything that they can't act upon immediately. It was one of the reasons that we would get a lot of non-disclosure agreements and review embargoes because they didn't want people reading about something that really excited them and then not being able to act on it. And by the time they could act on it, their interest had cooled and they just either might not uh, click on it or it just isn't on their mind when release date comes along. On the other hand, there's a lot of indie devs in particular who really like to have a dev uh, diary. Like they'll just have a blog that talks about the, every step of the process along the way. And for games, that works great because you're going to get to experience this thing. For books, I don't think it will work quite as well because it'll be very hard to toe the line of uh, teaser versus spoiler. Uh, there's only so much information you can give before you sort of defeat the purpose of getting the book. So in general, I think it's fine to talk about future projects and, and again, tease them. Uh, but you might want to hold off on doing anything really front and center promotional on something until you have a purchase link. And also, I should say, because uh, on the uh, how many pre-orders to have active, as we've said earlier, generally, I, w I like the idea of only really having the next book on pre-order. All right. Next question is from Tom on Back Matter Links pre-orders. Somehow this ended up being the pre-order episode number three. <laughs> it's a hot topic, guys. Um, so he asked, should you just link to the Amazon book page or can you use something like BookFunnel for pre-orders? I'm actually not sure if you meant BookFunnel or if you meant books to read, which would make more sense to me. Um, so my answer is uh, if I was releasing something wide and I had a pre-order everywhere, I use Vellum and Vellum makes it pretty easy to put the store links in. You can make a different EPUB pretty easily for each of the different stores. I'm lazy, so I don't usually do that. I usually do a general EPUB with a books to read link to the store for the next one in the series. But you could, if you're less lazy, if you haven't written 80 books in at this point, you just don't want to invest that much time. Um, you could absolutely make a different EPUB file for each store. And then a Mobi, the Mobi one gets an Amazon link. I always do the Amazon link and then the general one for the EPUB since there's like five different stores for the EPUB. Um, that's just me personally. Uh, but yeah, as soon as you have the link, like if I don't have the link when the previous book comes out, I send them to my newsletter page so that hopefully they'll sign up and I can tell them when the book's ready. And that would be a case where if like with my sci-fi series, these last two books, I wasn't going to be starting to write the final one in the series until like June, July, I guess I did in June, but book seven came out in April. And so there was like two months where I didn't have a pre-order because I'm not really comfortable doing a pre-order until I have at least started the book and reasonably certain I'm going to have it ready. So um, in that case, I just said, hey, sign up for the newsletter. And I haven't even announced to the newsletter yet, but the pre-order is up. Um, but I will. So if you don't have the pre-order, you know, send them to your newsletter. But yeah, if the pre-order is up, go ahead and use those links. All right, Joe, if you wanted to comment on that too. Sure. Uh, I sort of can't speak from experience here because, uh, as Lindsay indicated, the pre-order, obviously putting a link to the next book in the back matter of the previous book is only really uh, reasonable if either you have the next book on pre-order when you release the, pr the, the, the first book or if you go back and change the back matter when you are producing a new book, which is of limited value potentially because that would only really help people who just got to that book. And so anyhow, my, my staggered release strategy that I've used where I basically am only writing one book per se in each series per year sort of rules out me using links in my back matter. Interestingly, I still do different versions of the, uh, the book file for Amazon and for everyone else. I refer to it as Amazon generic and uh, uh, Smashwords for the ones that I distribute through Smashwords. But I, because I don't have uh, book links, and also because it gets, it allows me to reuse back matter. Uh, I tend to only send to either my newsletter, uh, or if I, for whatever reason, have decided not to put any active link in my in my back matter, which I've done a few times, and I don't really remember my motivation. Uh, I, I just push for reviews. Like the, the rule of thumb, you should really only have one major call to action. My call to action right now is join my newsletter, but I mention reviews. Uh, so yeah, uh, I, I prefer uh, newsletter stuff for my books because of my release strategy. And again, we're assuming you're saying uh, books to read, not book funnel, because otherwise you're just giving away a book, which is very nice of you, but of limited value unless it's a pre-order, uh, sorry, a preview. And even then, I don't know that I would recommend pointing to a preview. 
I think that's a great idea. Just put a, a link to books fun, book funnel at the back of every book. <laughs> um, yeah, I used to actually create a new book for every single, I mean, a new, an ebook for every single retailer. And that got tedious. I did that for like a year and a half. And then I was like, this is insanity. Why am I doing this? And that's when books to read came out. And I was like, this, okay, books to read is a serious lifesaver. So anyway, yeah. Okay. So Tom asks, and this is for Joe. <laughs> so Joe, I'm asking you a question. Um, I, and for those who can't see, he did make a, just a big grin right there. <laughs> um, I might be a, I might be about to use a specific series website for my first books as I have to, a domain, domain that fits the series well. But I think it'll be better to use my author site, which means rejigging it. Is having a book of Deacon type site definitely a thing to avoid, even if it's good for marketing? All right. Um, so uh, if you already have an author, let's put it this way, you should definitely have a, an author site that is your author name. Uh, if you already have one and you're looking to do an addition, uh, then... I would recommend using, making sure your author site with your name exists and is still sort of the loca, the, the focus for general redirects, like the sort of thing you'd have on your business card. Uh, and then you, you know, you can use the, the, the new domain for other stuff. There's a few reasons why, by the way, for people who don't have a domain name that is their author name, like me, which is why the question is for me. There's a few reasons why you want one. Uh, first off, hopefully, eventually you're going to have more than one series. So if you, you're basing all of your contacts on the name of one of your series, that's confusing. Uh, I assure you, I have confused people by doing it. It's also useful to have your author name as a domain name just in case you turn out to be a superstar, which ideally everyone will if you listen to us. Uh, you don't want someone squatting your name. So you want to sort of control your name uh, early on in the process. I do have uh, my name registered, I think. I have at least one form of my name registered. I just haven't activated that site because I'm lazy. Um, so the reason I, I have uh, listed the Book of Deacon as my website was a mistake. I, like, I, the reason I listed that as a mistake that I've made is because uh, I've grown as an author since then, and it really doesn't make sense that about two-thirds of my audience are going to a, a website that seems to only be dedicated to one of my books. And I've changed the, changed the branding of the site a bit to make it more generic, but it's still thebookofdeacon.com, and I have you know four other series now. That said, search engines are smart these days, and someone typing anything resembling your name has got a pretty good shot of finding their way to your site. So the specific URL of your site is less valuable now than it was in the old days. Uh, now, again, we're assuming that you already have an author site and that it is your main landing place. I see no reason why you can't have a serious site for marketing purposes, provided the following is true. Uh, it doesn't cost you too much because this is essentially now a promotional tool. So you sort of have to look at the return on investment on it. Uh, number two, it, you have to make sure it doesn't take too much time to maintain for two reasons. First, because you know time is money and you're, you only have so much to go around. And second, if it takes too much time and effort to maintain, it will fall into disuse and a site that is sort of lingering, this zombie style, can reflect poorly on you and cause you all sorts of problems. So you want to make sure that's something you can keep active and vital for the amount of time that it needs to be. So if, if those things are true, and if it's cheap and it's easy, then sure, use it in whatever way you think is useful. And then when you're done doing that, you can just redirect the site back to your uh, author page. So that people just type it in, they won't even see the lingering husk that it used to be. It'll just go straight to the main site that you use for all your stuff. So it won't hurt you to have that as long as you have it in addition. So um, my first series, I had a series name for, it was KaleniaSeries.com. And I used that all over the place for a while. And then what I found was, yeah, like Joe said, I wrote more series and having two different places where I had information was confusing to readers. Like they'd go to KaleniaSeries.com and it wouldn't have all my updated stuff. You know, it just have that series on it because I was like, why am I writing under this series name? So that's when I really put the focus on my main Andrea Pearson books.com series. And, um, um, I don't even know what happened to that website. I think it got, it got crashed or something, but, um, I don't, I would say that it's better to just update. I mean, you can have a series name website and that's not bad, but you're going to want it to be something that you don't have to update all the time and possibly create a series 
webpage for every series that you write. Um, and then just have it be something you never update again. But I don't know. I, I just don't think that's flexible enough. And I think that the, the, in the long term, you're going to want to just have just one spot and that you're going to want it to be under your name. I will add one, one additional thing here. This, this is wisdom that comes from Jeff from, from the old podcast. If you do name your website after something from your book, make sure it's easy to spell. If you choose a made-up word that nobody knows how to spell, it serves you no purpose to have this the URL. It's just going to slow everyone down. So, so like you can be clever and stuff like that. But if you're, it's the sort of thing you're going to say out loud to someone, unless they'll only ever click a link, make it easy to remember and type. All right. Well, let me go ahead and chime in, even though I'm not Joe. This is what I would do. Having, I got my name in the beginning, just because before I even did the author stuff, and I always put everything on there, but I did register theemperorsedge.com at one point and fallenempire.com at one point and even built a site up. And you know what? They're gone now because I forgot to renew the domain, domain names. I don't think I ever even put anything on the Emperor's Edge one. Um, but now what I would say is do your author name, just my opinion, my suggestion, do your author name.com put everything there, put everything there. If you want a series page just for your series, make a whole, you know, WordPress directory, whatever you want to call it for that page. Then buy your, you know, fallenempire.com, have it redirect to your author page and then do absolutely nothing else with that. Don't buy two hosting accounts. Just get the domain name for $10 a year. Use it at conventions, if, especially if it is something like Fallen Empire, that'd be super easier, like easier to spell than sort Lindsay Baroker, which nobody can spell. Fortunately, there's not any other ones. So even getting close will get you it. Google will find it. But um, yeah, I would just all your series, do it for all your series if you want. Uh, just get the domain name and redirect it. All right. Do you guys have any final comments? That was our last question. I think I'm all out of wisdom today. Wow. We actually <laughs> went under an hour. That never happens. I was going to say, I really like that idea. The re, the re, um, What's the word? Having things just redirect. Yeah. Redirect. It's, Thank you. <laughs> you might get a tech person to set it up for you if you're not savvy, but it would be a really easy thing for them to do. All right, cool. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Sorry we were not over an hour this time, but hopefully you got some information that will be useful. As always, thank you for listening, and thank you to Joshua Pearson for producing the show. You can find the show notes or leave a comment or question at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six. We are still on the Facebook still on the Facebook at Six Figure Authors. Uh, question about beards at the end should be obvious if you listen to the end of the show and have heard all of our voices, although we will accept answers of Andrea and Lindsay if you make them funny. Uh, Lindsay's know. dogs, I've seen that one a couple yeah. times. You get older, you start, you start trimming anyway, so you know how it is, ladies. <laughs> Joe does not have to trim. Lucky him. All right, I'll stop talking now. Have a great week, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. So long, everybody.